This week, our uh, our focus in our renovate series is really on the fact that that having emotional strongholds, having spiritual strongholds, these negative strongholds, these entrenched patterns, uh, both thinking and actions in our lives, it does damage, and it does damage to our hearts. It does damage to our emotional world, and so one of the one of the big things is then. How how does the Bible, how does Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, rebuild our emotional and spiritual lives? And uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 6, where Jesus is speaking, and he, and, he, and he says in verse 43, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for people do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So Jesus in these verses is giving us diagnostic tools and he's saying what's coming out of you is not slipping out of you it is revealing to you what is in you and one of the key verses here is out of the treasure of your heart and we're going to look at that somewhat fully today why do you verse 46 why do you call me lord lord and do not do what i tell you now he's starting to talk about how do you rebuild? How do you build so that there is good in you so that it then produces good from you? And Jesus says, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me. Now here, here's the, the key. Here's my words and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house, but could not shake it because it had been well built. Um, The idea here that Jesus is, is conveying is the responsibility we have for our own emotional world. The idea that we have a responsibility for how we build our lives, for the resources that we use, for the foundation that we lay for our our lives, our emotional, our spiritual lives. So as we are in the process of experiencing demolition of the walls and the barriers of the dysfunction in our lives, of the strongholds, these entrenched thoughts, these entrenched patterns, and we're beginning to say, okay, one of the enemies of my building, of my life, is hopelessness, and we begin to actively take our stand in the hope, then we, then we have to understand how to, re, how to rebuild. And, and I just thought it'd be important to, to think through that. Uh, I talked, talked some this past Sunday on, on what's been something new for me to think about is the categories of what makes us human. So we have our, our mind, our thoughts, we have our feelings, our emotions, our sensory perceptions. We have our, our, our choice. We have the ability to choose. We have a will. But we also have a body in which all that has to work out and all that, all that 
contact with the material world is taking place. And we also have uh, have the the nuances and the learned, in a sense, behaviors of the fifth area, which is social interaction. And some some people, one of the in different ones of my uh, messages on Sunday said, I didn't say the sixth one. I I did, but I didn't say it clearly. The sixth one is our heart. It's also often called, you know, use the idea of soul or the idea of spirit. But the sixth one, out of the heart, this is where life comes because all those other five, your social interaction, your your body uh, uh you know, satisfying appetites, your, the way you choose things, the way you feel about things, the way you believe, all of those come together and are integrated into your heart. It's the, it's the center core of your being. So when Jesus is speaking here about building your life, in a way he's saying steps by you have to be taken to say what is going to be the central content of the vision of my life and the vision for my life. Proverbs, we talked about Proverbs often, but but notice again, this is the idea of heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Don't place your faith in your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all you do. Center vision and he will smooth your pathway. Don't think you have it all figured out. It's a paraphrase of Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. And again, we've used this verse in Proverbs 4, 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For what is in your heart will determine what your life amounts to. This is what Jesus is saying. Out of the heart comes your life. So in a way, and, and this, is, this is where the idea of consent. Am I going to consent to the work of God of rebuilding? Not am I going to try to will myself to be a better person, but am I consenting to the work of God? And what I, what I find that has to be center vision for the care of the heart is, is belief in, experience of, and trust in the love of God. This must be the joyful aim of our life, is, is to live in the center of the love of God. Jesus stated that the first commandment was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength. It's something we are to do, not just something, you know, that's nice to think about, but it's also something we can do. We can put the love of God at the center of our heart. We, we will learn to do that if we make it our intent to do that. If we, if we do not make that an intentional foundation of our heart, it will not be. And, and truth is, Anytime that you are making a plan that's based on the will of God, God is always helping you. God is always working with you. God is always resourcing you for that. Um, one, one of the older writers that I like is a guy named Thomas Watson. He says, the love of God and only the love of God secures the vision of God, keeps God constantly before our mind. The first fruit of love is the musing of the mind upon God. He who is in love, his thoughts are ever upon the object. He who loves God is ravished and transported with the contemplation of God. God is the treasure, and where the treasure is, 
There is the heart. King David said it, and we've, we've talked about this in Psalm 16. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I have found this, this verse and this idea has been the key as night by night, um, Lisa takes her chemo medication and I see the immediate effects of that chemo medication. I could, I could set before me how hard this is or I could set before me how difficult it is to watch my wife be uncomfortable. But it's a choice of building that which will bring me courage and that which will bring me joy in the midst of difficult circumstances is to set the Lord before me and together for us to set the Lord before each other. This is why for us the every night doing communion together, praying around the cross, praying around the atoning work of Jesus, opening up our hearts to his presence, setting him before us, is the only way I have found to not be shaken by the things that I cannot change in my own power. One of the reasons that this vision of God is so important, and, and, and Jesus really hints at this, is that to build your life well so that the floods don't overcome you, like Jesus talks about. You have to build it on humility. There has to be a humbling of self. And the only way to really, I've seen, humble myself is to see God for who he is. And as I see him for who he is, I'm able to see myself for who I am. And instead of being, in a sense, cowering and shamed, ashamed, seeing God as he truly is in Christ makes me bold. For I can see in, I can see in my heart what great good and evil are always at issue, always at stake. And I, and I see because I see God so clearly, it's not up to me to accomplish the good. But it is me consenting to God who is more than able. See, by consenting and seeing the humility of building my life on him and not leaning on my own understanding, I don't have to pretend. I don't, I don't have to make myself something bigger than I am because I'm not. And it, and it also, see, the reason it, it pushes anxiety away is because the outcome depends on him, not on us. Now, decisions are important. Uh, activating our faith in his promises. These were all important and intentional things. But ultimately, all outcomes that really matter, they depend on him. And as we set him before us and we're not shaken and we build on the rock, we persist in life, and have a perseverance of character without frustration. And even when things don't go the way we expect them to go, or they go longer than we hoped they would go, we practice calm. We have an inner equilibrium. Because there's a joy that comes when you no longer are complying to the evil that of any kind that's presented to you. And think about what the scripture says about how God cooperates, collaborates with those who are humble. He, 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 he looks for those who are humble and contrite of spirit 
In Isaiah it says, those who tremble when he speaks. What did Jesus say? Why do you say, Lord, Lord, and not hear what I'm saying and not do what I'm saying? I mean, this is scriptural, this is scriptural teaching that God resists our pride. But there's no lack of grace for those who humble themselves, who tremble before his word. Grace is the only thing that matters, and it's his sheer free grace. I had some things happen yesterday that, that were unexpected and, 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 you know, they hurt these things that happened. They hurt. They made me angry. I got, you know, I, 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 I wanted to deal with some, I felt like some unfairness or some injustice that were happening to people that I cared about. But when I go to the cross, I can't plead the case in some way that that these people should be punished or this should happen or that should happen because, because at the cross you realize we're all in need of forgiveness. We're all so sinful he had to die for us. At the cross you realize every good thing in your life, every healing you experience, every freedom that you, that you, that you experience and, and encounter in your life, every one of them is a manifestation of God's sheer grace to you, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus deserves it and he's given it to you. And it, and it humbles you and, and grace makes you utterly dependent on God, but it only does so if you are humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. So depending on God to act, there's, an, there's a sense of in order to build on this rock, there's a sense of abandonment entirely to God, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the result of the assurance, this rebuilding of our emotional world, this renovation is a result of assurance that the true mission and ministry that God has for you, the true mission and ministry is happening and God will accomplish it in his time. And in his way. Now, obviously, I keep saying this. We have a responsibility, particularly to our own hearts, to do our very best, to work hard, to even, even sacrifice. But we don't carry the load. If, if you're carrying the load of the outcomes of your life, then you're trusting not in the Lord, but you're leaning on your own understanding. In our love of Jesus and the Father, we truly have abandoned our life to him. Now, what does that, that kind of building mean? Well, it means that you've entered into Christ's way of the heart. Christ himself was utterly dependent on the Father. He said, I do nothing of my own initiative. And, and if you have entered into Christ's way of the heart, and it's not that I'm saying that's an easy thing. I'm saying it is the only thing that is a path of life and healing, but it's also a sure path where you become the person you were meant to be. As you're doing this, a goodness thoroughly begins to manifest in your life, a godliness that is, that is weighty, that matters, that, that even the flood, Jesus said, even the flood will not shake you because your heart has been so well built. So what is he trying to root out? Well, I, I think you can say that there are three things that, that 
that are so often in our lives that are hindering us. Because if, if we're called to this humility of listening and doing what Jesus said and building on the rock and abandoning ourselves to God, then the arrogance is in the way. Insensitivity, not, not, not hearing the Spirit's voice, not doing what the Spirit is telling you to do, reading God's word and not obeying it. That's insensitivity and self-sufficiency. And all three of these are dangerous and they all fit together. But I, you know, I've, I've watched in ministry, I've been around the church for all of my 63 years of life. And those who are most self-sufficient are those who fall most readily to, to those three hungers of power, of money, and sex. So it's a goodness that's real, that comes from the inside out, that's, that has an integrity to it that's in the private life as well as the public life. And it's a, it's a godliness that, that doesn't have arrogance, doesn't have insensitivity, doesn't have self-sufficiency. So then our heart is transformed as we cooperate, as we give our consent to God. We're renovated from the inside out. Dallas Willard puts it in a way that, that is a picture now for my heart, a vision for my heart, that, that I'm so renovated on the inside that what comes out of me will bring about peace and, and righteousness in the environments in which I have influence, in the environments in which I have responsibilities. And it won't be because I'm trying so hard to love, but rather because unloving thoughts and actions no longer have a place. Just the loving ones begin to spring up. And the love comes, not because I'm trying to be loving, but because at the center of my being, at the center of my vision for my heart is his love. Now, obviously, when you start to talk about abandonment to God and you start to talk about sacrifice, particularly this idea of death to self, Jesus even says that if we don't carry our own cross, you cannot be my disciple. So this cross that Jesus is talking about is an instrument of death or of losing your life. And, and Jesus teaches on this so often. He says, you've got to lose your life to gain your life. You've got to lose your life to find your life. So it's always in the, in the spiritual realm, in the emotional realm, it is a... It, it is a there are these comparative costs. And you, you have to decide, is it worth what I lose to gain what I gain? And so part of what happens if you're, you are to abandon yourself to God and build on the rock is you realize the real bargain is to surrender ourselves to Jesus and his cause, to abandon all to him because we love him and all we love we abandon to him because we love him and we abandon it for him. And if we're not in that place where we see that this is the real bargain, to give up what I cannot keep, to gain what I cannot lose, then all the other lessons of Jesus are built on, on the sand. Only when we really say, I will give up my, my life and all that is and abandon it to you for love of you, and I'll give it all for you. Now, the danger of that 
And it's a danger I've seen in the church. It's a danger I've seen with, with serious people even is there's a danger of self-righteousness because it's so easy for some people to see things that they're giving up, to see them as giving them up for God. And, and so they're thinking in terms, I'm denying myself, I'm taking up the cross, but what they've really done is not done it from the inside out, their heart's loves, their heart's treasures, but they've been deceived into thinking they can externalize this self-denial, and they can make it about certain actions. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, I don't do this, I don't do that. I, you know, I do this, I don't do that. I mean, I've literally seen it become about whether or not you wear jeans or you have long hair or any of those kind of things. So, so self-denial becomes a deception instead of a discipline. And so what, what many people have done is they, they've kind of made this dreary and deadly self-denial, which is all too often uh, commonly associated with religion. And they've made that the center instead of making Jesus and loving Jesus and having a loving vision of Jesus and his kingdom, the center of their heart's vision. See, it's important we understand this, this losses and gains. To count the costs is to take into consideration both the losses and the gains of all possible courses of action. For example, if in your spiritual life you sense that the Lord is asking you to give up something significant, it has to be, in a sense, something you do not, not to perform to get his acceptance. Because then that becomes a work of the law, and then you're under all the law, and where you've disobeyed the law in one place, you've disobeyed it in all places. So even if it's a significant sacrifice that he's asking of you, you're not doing it to be accepted, you're doing it because the center of your vision is how his love has accepted you, how accepted you are with the Father. And out of that vision of his love for you, you are willingly saying, I will count all things loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And so when we look at it that way, that I will count all things loss for what I have gained in the acceptance I have in Christ, and I count all things lost so that I nothing is in the way of me encountering and experiencing Christ in the deepest part of my being. Then we say, okay, I'm not a fool to give up something I can't even keep to gain what I will never lose. So then the cost of discipleship would be seen for what it is. It's a cost that's unbearable. <laughs> and, and that's why in a sense, to, to not have this acceptance, to not have this love would be unbearable to us. To have anything less than all of Christ would be unbearable cost to me. See, because it is, everything is bearable if his love is at the center of my being, then anything is bearable, even death. But nothing is bearable if I don't have Christ. 
and if there's anything in the way of the love of Christ. And I, and what happens is, is I if I get that comparative right, then the cost of discipleship for Jesus is a much smaller cost than a life without Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he came proclaiming all of the kingdom of God. And all of the kingdom of God means that that when you accept Jesus, the kingdom of God has now invaded your heart. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You've been transferred from the kingdom of Satan to, to the kingdom of God's wonderful son. Heaven and the kingdom of heaven now has an embassy in in your heart because you are a citizen of heaven. Everywhere you go, heaven goes with you. And that's the promise that Jesus made of God's present care and his supervision of over your life. And all he asks of you is that you would be confident in him. Repent for life in the kingdom of heaven is now available to you is what Jesus said. His offered then right now and why we are willing to give up our own lives is we gain his presence, his actions. And just like the disciples, we gain his teaching, we gain his leadership. We gain everything about him. So if you look at the disciples, what was it that reached their hearts? Well, it was the kingdom. The kingdom of God's wonderful son changed their vision of reality. And they were willing to give up their former life's course for a new course of life. Now, one of the ways to look at this, and and I think this is so important, is that when Jesus told a parable, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and concealed it. When he found that treasure, he was ecstatic. He sold everything that he had, and he bought the field. See, when what, what Jesus is saying is, if your heart's treasure is his kingdom, and all that that means, his presence, his actions in your life, his teaching in your life, his leadership of your life, if that's your treasure, then no hardship is too great and no sacrifice is too great to gain your treasure. That man who found the treasure in the field ran and sold everything he had and gathered everything he had and collected it all just so he could buy his treasure. So what does this mean? Well, it means that the only way to build your broken life your broken emotions, your broken spiritual life is to organize your whole heart and your whole life around your treasure. That that your that your heart has so been captured and captivated by the treasure that is Jesus and all that that means for you. That your that your body aligns, your social interaction aligns, your mind aligns, your feelings align, your choices align. And because you've said, this is my treasure. So you see, self-denial of the Christian life is never self-righteousness. It's always the surrender of a lesser dying self for a greater eternal self. The, The very person that God intended in creating you is what you are gaining. But in order to do so, you have to lose that lesser self. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.8 says, confidence in this new self, this eternal self, this greater self that God always intended for you. He says, this is the occasion of greatly rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
You know, Jesus never denies the idea of personal fulfillment, but he shows us that the only way to it is if we in him find our life. See, he would keep us from the Esau failure of selling his birthright just for cereal. And and as creatures in God's image, he wants you to have a birthright of genuine goodness, sufficiency, and power for which we are fitted by nature, not just a mere bowl of soup or porridge. See, the cross that he's asking us to take up, our own cross, it's laid upon all our obsessive and partial desires so that the reach around us and the reach around our hearts that captivates and captures our hearts is agape love. And that love from the center then integrates everything, mind, will, emotions, body, social interaction, and eternal life begins to be expressed in your life now because it's a life with God and it's a life with others. And you bring wholeness instead of brokenness. And you bring into your relationships a love of God from the center of your heart to others. And it chases away the darkness. So here's, here's some keys to this. Maybe to, I love the grand picture of this, but maybe there need to be some keys. So your, key, your keys to victory over negative emotional and spiritual strongholds is to realize your greatest need is not self-confidence, but it's utter confidence in God himself, to, abandon, to believe God, trust God in such a way that you abandon even the outcomes and the results to God. That to recognize that even when bad experiences are coming, God is a redeemer. He takes what is useless, what is broken, and he makes it valuable. And he will not waste your sorrows. God, you need to say this from, I know you will not waste my sorrows. And, and I have found that the things that he redeems becomes part of my purpose, my ministry. It comes place, become my greatest weaknesses, become my greatest places of blessing. And then thirdly, obeying what God says. That's what Jesus says. You hear my words and you act on them. That's how you build your life. Obeying what God says leads you to a new, accurate image of yourself. You don't overcome strongholds by denying, giving in to them, or hoping that they go away. You choose who you listen to. And then you choose whether you align your emotions, your beliefs, your choices, whether you align them under lies or under the truth. Jesus says, you have a choice to make. You can keep what is yours now, or you can give it up. But to give it up is to gain what you've always really wanted to be and always what you wanted to have. This is the week where we talk about rebuilding.